Before we begin today's episode, I would just like to let everyone listening know about something really special that's going to take place. This December of 2019 is going to be Vikings Month, a massive collaboration between the History of Vikings and my friend Pete Kelly, creator of the famous historical documentary YouTube channels History Time and Voices of the Past. Every week of December, the History of Vikings is going to be releasing a special podcast episode and YouTube video in collaboration with History Time and Voices of the Past. Be sure to subscribe to the History of Vikings on YouTube and those two other great channels I just mentioned. You won't want to miss out on all of the Vikings content about to come your way. Prepare yourselves for Vikings Month and subscribe to the YouTube channels in the description of this episode. Hello and welcome to the History of Vikings. Havamal is perhaps one of the most famous pieces of Old Norse literature found in a collection of poems known as the Poetic Edda. It's composed of the wisdom and advice of the high god Odin, who addresses an unknown character called Lodfafnir. The poem recounts Odin's personal experiences throughout the advice he gives to this unknown learner. Joining me today to discuss the poem of Havamal is Dr. Jackson Crawford an Old Norse specialist and translator of the University of Colorado Boulder. In the description of this episode, you will find links to Dr. Crawford's translation of the Poetic Edda, the Saga of the Volsungs, and his most recent book, which pertains to our topic of conversation today, The Wanderer's Havamal. In this new book that includes a carefully revised English translation of the Old Norse poem Havamal, together with facing original Old Norse text sourced directly from the Codex Regis manuscript. Dr. Crawford, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me back. Well, it is a pleasure to have you back on the show, and congratulations on the release of your new book, The Wanderer's Havmal. I'm so excited to uh, discuss it with you today on the podcast. Well, many folks listening today are quite familiar with the poems of the Poetic Edda, of which Havamal is one. But I'm curious, when you wrote this book, The Wanderer's Havamal, why Havamal, as opposed to perhaps the famous Voluspa? or any other piece of Old Norse literature? Well, the fact is, my publisher and I have considered doing a series of books like this. Uh, uh, so the next one actually would be Voluspal if we go forward with this. Um, but the reason we decided to do Halvamal in particular was partially public demand. I mean, Halvamal is so popular with people who are into Norse mythology and literature, but also partially my own deep personal relationship with the text. Um, if we were going to try to release a dual language edition of anything in Old Norse, it made sense to start with the text that I knew best, um, knew almost by heart, and probably do know by heart now after reading it about a thousand times this year. 
And I think that Hovmall also, beyond just having a lot of information about uh, Norse mythology, culture, literature, is an important text for a lot of living people today. I mean, it's it's a a very practical guide to life that can be applied in I think any culture. It's sort of uh, it's sort of culture neutral in an odd way, in spite of its references to uh, to the Viking Age and, and to Norse gods. Fascinating. Now, could it be said that the Havamal is uh, what one might call the Vikings or Old Norse Book of Proverbs? I mean, it certainly is a text that is composed of the high god Odin's wisdom, and this is wisdom that pertains to many different topics, um, frankly, some of which could be considered to be common sense, such as the need to abstain from excessive drinking. But I'm curious, is that an idea that, that you hold dear to as well, is that this is sort of a, a book of Proverbs that we find in Old Norse literature? I think it is fair to analogize it to Proverbs. I think that people go too far in calling it a quote-unquote Viking code of ethics, which is sometimes packaged as. My issue with that is, well, as I said, if you take away the names that are in there, Odin and a few other Norse mythological names, and you translate this into pretty much any other language, and it will stand uh, without seeming too culturally off. And it seems a little bit culturally off for the Viking Age in which it's probably originally orally composed. Uh, it has very, very little emphasis on the importance of family, which is something that we know was actually very important in the Viking Age and later, and that we see emphasized constantly in the sagas and in many other Eddic poems. It has very little emphasis on any sort of religious duty or on the afterlife. It's a, a, a very secular poem in that way. And it emphasizes, as, as you mentioned, uh, one, one specific value is the value of sobriety, uh, which we know was probably not widely practiced in the Viking Age. Um, and in fact, the, the lack of sobriety of the more popular Norse god Thor uh, probably shows us what what you would find in a, a, a real Viking code of ethics for sort of your mainstream Viking, if you will, would, would not be these cautions about sobriety. Um, I'm not saying that the poem is, is independent of the, its cultural roots. It's not. But it's so much more like the world's other great books of ethics, um, you know, whether you're looking at the Bible or something like Confucius or something uh, even older, like the Sumerian instructions of Shurapak or the ancient Egyptian instructions of Atahotep, than it is like the specific uh, cultural recommendations that you'll find in something like the sagas. There, there's exceptions to that, but I think that it's it's a really very universal poem in its nature. Well, the words of the poem Havamal are very much from the mouthpiece of the god Odin, a figure that appears very frequently throughout various Old Norse texts and pieces of Old Norse literature. As one reads Havamal, what should they keep in mind about the leading character of the poem, that is the god Odin? And of course, his reputation and our understanding of him certainly extends to other pieces of literature apart from Havamal. But what should we keep in mind about Odin and who he is as sort of a, a Norse deity while reading it? Well, let me start actually by pointing out a few things to keep in mind about Havamal as you start to read it, whether you're reading it for the first time or uh, have read it a few times before. And one thing to keep in mind is that this almost certainly isn't originally one poem. It probably is several poems that have been combined because somewhere in their 
transmission, someone associated all of them with Ozen and put the title Hava Mall, words of the High One or words of the One-Eyed being Ozen, on the whole collection. Now, the very first part, which is actually the most famous, the practical wisdom part, uh, which we call Gestapoter, that runs from about stanzas one to 79. And that portion alone, if you if you don't look at it with the rest of the poem, would actually be fairly difficult to say was the words of Odin without the rest of the context. Um, in stanza 13, there's a reference to drinking at the home of Gunloth, which is a woman Odin seduces, and a story later in Hobbamalm. And that's pretty much the only specific hint that the speaker is Odin. Now, I'm not... I'm not disputing that this is exactly the kind of wisdom that we would expect from Odin. It's cynical in its way. Uh, it's uh, it, it's well, that's, that's probably the central the central thing is is the it's got a kind of Odinic cynicism to it. But it's interesting to note that it's really not hitting you over the head with who the speaker is. And then that's followed by what we often call Odin's Dumi, that runs from about stanza. 80 to about stanza 110, although there's some some fuzziness in where exactly the section begins, and it's probably actually not all one one consistent uh, solid contiguous poem. It, this Even this may be made out of four or five minor poems itself. And this consists mostly of love advice. It tells men not to trust women and women not to trust men. And then we have two stories in which Odin talks about trying to seduce women. One time he succeeds, one time he fails. And then we have the section you alluded to in your intro, Lord Faulkner's Mall, that runs from stanza 111 to 137. That's where Odin's giving advice to Lord Faulkner. Uh, he keeps mentioning him in nearly every stanza in that section of the poem. It's possible we can read the rest of the poem as addressed to him, but not, not certain, and we don't know who Lord Faulkner is. Then there's 138 to 145. This is a section we call Runatal, the tally of runes, where Odin talks about sacrificing himself to himself on a tree and learning the runes. Uh, most of the people have assumed that tree is Yggdrasil, the so-called world tree, although it's not spelled out that it is in Hobbamal. And then finally, stanzas 146 to 164 are the section called Lyodatal, a tally of the spells in which Odin brags about the 18 magic spells that he knows. Now, all these, these, these at least five constituent poems mostly have language that points to oral composition in about the 900s. And the manuscript that we have them written down in is the Codex Regis, where we have the other poems of the Portugueta. That's from about 1270. But Hobbamal, uh, in that manuscript, we can tell is actually copied from a different manuscript than the other poems were, because the spelling is consistently different. So someone somewhere before 1270, probably before 1200, had preserved Hobbamal already separately on its own, which is kind of interesting. Uh, hard to know what the context of that was. And that might have been the person who brought all these poems together, or they might have already been brought together earlier on in oral transmission. But the thing that unites them is an emphasis on what the Norse called wisdom, and a very similar word to our own, visdomr. But for them, wisdom includes not just practical living, which so much a Hopemal is about, but also stuff like magic and knowing runes and, um, and, and knowing. Uh, well, how to seduce women. I mean, all of this actually, uh, anything that's kind of a mental feat of whatever kind gets gets headlined under that, that title, Wisdom. And Odin is the main uh, exponent of wisdom throughout Norse literature. He is the god 
who uh, has harmed himself many times over in pursuing wisdom. He gave up an eye to drink from the well of Mimir, which made him wiser. He sacrificed himself to himself to learn the runes, as he tells in Hobbamal. And he's just constantly, seemingly very anxiously, trying to learn everything that he can. And so it seems very natural that even in the first section that doesn't really hit us over the head with the, the author being Odin, to associate all this with Odin because he is, of course, the ultimate uh, wise man or wise god of Norse tradition. Is it in any way possible to tell what this text might have meant to the Old Norse peoples of medieval Scandinavia and Iceland? I know that the historical worship of the Norse gods is indeed a tricky business, but is there any hints that we could gain as to whether this text was even around as oral tradition during the Viking Age and what we could perhaps make an educated guess on um, how the Norse viewed this collection of wisdom? I think it's a great question. And, and actually, I would say my guess is it's unlikely that in the late Viking Age, I could quote something called Havamal and have someone understand what that was. I think probably a lot of these stanzas were well known and probably even considered to be from the mouth of Odin. If you look at a poem like Hokonormal, composed after the death of King Hokon the Good in 961 by uh, Wevinder a uh, poet whose nickname means the plagiarist, um, we see two lines that also occur in Hokonormal stanza 76 and 77. In reconstructed Old Norse pronunciation, those lines are doir fe, doia frander, cows die, kinsmen die. Now, since he's called the plagiarist, uh, we can assume uh, that he is the borrower and not all them all. And so that gives us at least a date before uh, the 960s for, for those stanzas, probably. Um, although there's nothing to say for sure that wasn't already just a formula that might have appeared in, in many poems because it does alliterate pretty nicely. But we also see references to uh, some of the stanzas elsewhere. There's a stanza that's quoted in uh, Bandamana Saga, often called the Saga of the, uh, what does the English title people use? I think it's what they call the Saga of the Confederates. And then also in um, uh, Snorri's Prosetta, where he doesn't call the stanza that he quotes from Haldemal, he just quotes it. Um, same deal with the stanzas in Bandamana Saga. It doesn't say this is a stanza from Hobbamal, but the guy quotes a stanza. So I, I don't know if the compilation existed, but I think that these stanzas were probably floating around and, and might well have been attributed to Odin when people would quote them. I think it's a little bit like if you imagined, um, well, what do people quote to sound smart today? I mean, here's here's... <laughs> take this analogy with a grain of salt because I'm coming up with it on the fly. But people are, people are always quoting Winston Churchill, right? He's very quotable, great turn of phrase, always kind of fun, you know, just a smart speaker. Um, people know a lot of good actual quotes by him. Um, they know a lot of good turns of phrase by him without necessarily knowing the whole context and might drop these into conversation, both legitimately to quote him and maybe sometimes to bolster their own argument or claim, maybe sometimes fudging the quote a little bit. But very few people are carrying around a copy of collected quotations of Winston Churchill. There's not really, I mean, I guess it exists. You can, you can go get, if you will, the, the Churchill's Mall, right? 
I'm sure they sell something like that on, on Amazon or, or, you know, whatever bookstores are left. Um, but not many people are carrying it around. Not many people are referring to it all the time. And if I say, well, you know, this is stanza 36 of Churchill Mall or something, no one's going to know what I'm talking about. So I think maybe Hallmall is a little bit like that, that sort of Churchill Mall. Someone went about the task of collecting these various things together and giving them a title, even though they transparently weren't all composed all together at one time or didn't all enter oral transmission at the same time. Does that make sense? Is that, how, yeah, that, that was good. There? That makes sense. And perhaps taking those, those quotations and once they've been composed out of context as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. And none of this is to suggest, I, I think sometimes people hear this as almost an irreverent uh, attitude toward Hogmall. Um, you know, I obviously have a great love for Hogmall, but I think that it also reflects the work of an editor, right? Someone at some time, it didn't get passed down from stanza one to 164, all in that order for 300 years. That just, that just wouldn't work. But I think these quotes were floating around more or less associated with each other for that long. And someone did make an effort to bring as many together as he could. And, and maybe there was more to this material. In fact, there probably was more to this material that, that didn't get preserved. If you look at, at just as a, as, a, as a comparison, if you look at Sigurdrivamal in the Poetic Edda, there's a lot of kind of similar wisdom stanzas where the Valkyrie is talking to the hero Sigurdr, um, some of which could even be viewed as almost alternate takes on some of these same stanzas in Haldemal. Um, and, and those probably come from a similar sort of floating, um, disassociated body of oral wisdom literature. How does Havamal benefit our understanding of the Norse gods and heroes? I mean, through the various, you know, characters that perhaps Odin alludes to in the text, the little tidbits and mentions of various uh, phenomena in Old Norse literature and mythology, how does this poem contribute to a student of Old Norse literature's understanding of just, frankly, the Old Norse world, if you will? Oh, that's another great question. Well, I think probably the central mythic moment of Havamal is Odin's sacrifice of himself to himself in stanzas 138 to 139. If it were not for Havamal, we would not have this story. And yet we would have to guess that something like that had happened because we see references to Odin as the god of the hanged, or in fact, himself as the hanged god. And he has many other names that, that hint at his hanging. And then we have scenes like in Gothrak's saga, where the man is hanged and sacrificed to Odin. This solves the otherwise sort of mysterious association of Odin with hanging uh, by showing us where he hangs, when he hangs, although we're not totally clear on why and how and where. Uh, this story is supposed to have taken place. We also see Odin in his relation to the, the Jotnar or giants to a certain extent. Uh, we see him uh, successfully seducing Gunlod uh, so that he can get a drink of the mead Othrir that makes Drinker a poet. Uh, Snorri tells that story also in, in the prose. And we see at the very end uh, the famous valediction of Hobbamon. Odin says that he has spoken it uh, for the good of humans and for the harm of giants. Uh, that may seem curious, but of course, humans are sort of arrayed on the side of the gods against the giants who are broadly symbolic of the forces of chaos and disorder. And so something done for the good of humans might well um, be done for the harm of the gods' enemies. 
in as much as as humans are sort of ideally agents of the order and and cosmic harmony that the gods embody. Other than that, I don't know that it's mythically uh, all that incredibly connected with the rest of of the mythos, right? We have mentions of elves, mentions of dwarves, mentions of of a Jotun or two. Um, Odin's mother is mentioned, as is her father and an unknown uncle of Odin's. So it's bound up in his story, but it's not, you know, for example, it's not a story that you can date in relation to other myths. Uh, unlike, say, the death of Baldur, where you can say, well, this has already happened by the time of, a, of a, the events of a poem like Locusena. Uh It's hard to say when, quote-unquote, uh, Odin hanged himself, for example, or when, quote-unquote, he, uh, he delivered this advice. Well, I am by no means an expert on Old Norse literature, but the concept of Odin sacrificing himself to himself, hanging himself on the world tree Yggdrasil, and you know, eventually being punctured by some sort of spear, I believe it was, has always struck me as being somewhat curious, and indeed similar to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ as featured in the Bible. Is there any relationship between these two events? I mean, was this notion invented from the Christian idea of the crucifixion, or are they in any way related? I don't think that one story is dependent on the other. They have some pretty striking similarities in as much as both Odin and Christ are, are hanged in a certain sense. If you consider the crucifixion hanging, you could. Um, both, if they are hanged, are hanged on a quote-unquote tree. At least the crucifix is made of wood. They're both speared. Uh, Odin, of course, says he is geiri uh, undadr, wounded with a spear. Uh, and, and Christ, of course, is speared. They both thirst greatly, as Odin says in stanza 139, and, uh, and, and Christ is also said to thirst, and they both scream or call out, as, as Odin says he does at the end of 139. Um, however, these similarities, I think, aren't necessarily that striking when you consider that they basically just describe someone who is, who is tormented, right? I mean, one, one has a spear pierced aside, and the other has a spear pierced aside. That's probably the most compelling. Um, Parallel, the fact that they thirst after their long time being tortured isn't surprising. The fact that they both cry cry out with a loud voice after a long period of torment isn't surprising. Um, and the, the association with hanging uh, is so old in the case of Odin that I don't think that it needs the Christian story uh, to get it started. And of course, Odin's association with the spear is probably even older. Uh, you find... I believe even Bragi Borison, the earliest Scaldic poet, calling Odin uh, Gungnis Vovadr, the waver of Gungnir, his spear. So already he's strongly associated with that weapon. And we find him associated with that weapon all through the 900s in Scaldic poetry, too. So I think mostly this is probably a coincidence, although it's a very stunning coincidence in a sense, because you have uh, two gods who are, in fact, very different in character both sort of sacrificed to themselves, Odin explicitly so, Christ, it might be theologically uh, dangerous to, to put it this way, but you could, you, could, you could sort of say he sacrificed to himself, uh, depending on how you want to interpret uh, one or another gospel. Um, you know, there's also the Prometheus story you, you could tie in there too. I, I do think that later the two stories twist around each other a little bit, 
in, in Scandinavia. Uh, you see, for instance, the famous uh, Shetland folk song that was recorded in the 1800s that has, that's about Christ, but mentions that Christ um, was hanged on the, quote, rootless tree, which, of course, in Havamal, the tree is said to have roots that no one knows. Uh, he hangs nine nights on that rootless tree. Of course, it is Odin who hangs for nine nights. Uh, that's not part of the Christian story. And then um, the description of him hanging in the cold, which could just be because it's from Shetland, but but might owe more to the description of Odin's hanging than, than Christ's crucifixion. So I do think they twist around each other a little bit later in Scandinavia, but I don't think that one story is from the other story. Okay, interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, this is uh, perhaps leading down a rabbit trail, which I should uh, always hesitate to do. But I'm curious, because you mentioned this when talking about sort of how Odin is addressed in Havamal in light of him hanging himself. Now, Odin has many different names that we see throughout Old Norse literature affiliated with the various things he's involved with. Is there anything significant about this concept, the many names of Odin? And uh, very frankly, why is that? Why is Odin given so many names throughout Old Norse texts? Well, that's yet another great question. He he does have, I, I think, probably more than 100 names. I know it's more than 80, uh, because I think there's more than 80 that he gives just in Grimnismal. And of course, when you know this, it makes it one of the funniest moments in Old Norse literature when in the poem Horvarsdil uh, in the Poetic Edda, he says, uh, when he's talking to Thor, my name is Horvarder, and I rarely lie about that. Uh, <laughs> I think he does more than lie about his name. Um, it's, I'm not sure that I have an easy or, or readily available explanation for why he has so many names. I think that in a sense, it's part of his, his strong association with wisdom in that broad sense where any intellectual achievement, including just straight up memory, is, is quote unquote wisdom. You know, look at the the contest Odin has with Vavthrudnir in the poem Vavthrudnismal, uh, right after Haldemal in the Poetiketa, where um, much of the quote unquote wisdom that they're exchanging really is just who can remember mythological trivia better. And when Odin is is listing his spells at the end of Haldemal and sends a 159, the 14th spell, the spell is that he knows the names of all the gods and elves, right? His, the spell is, is that he has this incredible memory. And I think maybe that all of his different names and, and him being able to keep track of them and him being able to, to come up with some clever uh, turn of phrase or turn of kidding, if you will, uh, to name himself every time that he's met with is kind of just part of that manifestation of his, his incredible wisdom, his incredible memory his incredible cleverness which is all what the norse would call the stomer or wisdom that's the best idea about that that i can come up with with a drop of a hat is that really we're just supposed to be impressed by how smart he is that he comes up with and remembers all these names certainly well the Havamal is um if my memory serves me correctly 100 something stanzas long it is a quite long piece of old norse poetry and uh, certainly it encompasses a great many themes, um, especially when discussing the god Odin. But as all of our listeners today go out and pick a copy up of your new book, The Wanderer's Havmal, which I encourage you all very much to do, what would you just have us to keep in mind as we read this piece of uh, Old Norse literature? Well, 
look at the seams in it and consider what those mean as far as um, the origins of this poem and who decided to put all of these stanzas together into one thing. Um, in the introduction to The Wanderer's Hobbamalm, I have a uh, much richer discussion of the meters of Old Norse poetry than I've previously put together. And I point out where different meters are used in the poem. And you can actually kind of follow those blocks of poems, of, of stanzas that are in the same meter to kind of see um, which ones originally go together and, and which ones have been kind of split by a material that didn't originally go in that spot. Um, so I think that it's a very interesting thing to do to kind of go through it and look at it from, even if you don't read Old Norse, from the perspective of like, wh- what are the kind of, um, what are the the pieces, the original pieces that have the edges kind of melted into each other, but still kind of visible? What are those and, and what made the editor decide these are some of the words of Odin that need to go together with these other words of Odin? Um, and I think what you'll find is, again, what I've said, that that broad emphasis on wisdom, meaning both uh, actual practical wisdom and um, magical competence and just straight up feats of memory. Interesting. Well, Dr. Crawford, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you again today on the podcast. And for those listening, you can find The Wanderer's Havamal on Amazon.com via the link in the description below or on the website of Hackett Publishing Company. Also, you'll find that via a link in the description of this episode. Well, Dr. Crawford, it's been a pleasure speaking to you again here on the podcast, and I wish you all the greatest success with your new book. Well, thank you very much, Noah. All the best to you. If you enjoyed today's podcast and would like to learn more about the Viking Age, Norse mythology, and Old Norse literature, visit my friends at Ancient History Encyclopedia and read their excellent array of articles pertaining to many aspects of Viking history at ancient.eu. And, of course, you will find links to these articles in the description of this episode. 